0: We have a, a game that we play around Christmas time at our house that I made up about 15 years ago, and it's pretty simple. We call it the radio game. You're welcome to steal it. Here's what we do. When the family gets in the car, before you turn the radio on, there are always stations this time of year that play 100% Christmas music. So everybody in the car, everybody in the family chooses a Christmas song. You have to guess what's going to be on the radio. And, and so then we turn on the radio, and if the, the song is playing right then, you get five bucks. If the song is the next one that comes on, you get a dollar, and then after that, the first song that comes on, you get a quarter, which is usually the case. And so what happens is basically the parents just kind of pass along, you know, the dollar very, very few times does somebody win five bucks, but then uh, the quarter, you know, if the kids win, they keep it, so it's good fun. And then there's always winners and losers in the car. That's what you need at Christmas time, right? So you're welcome to steal that game. But have you ever noticed how much Christmas and music go hand in hand? And in fact, it makes sense, really, when you look at Jesus Christ, the greatest art in all of history was born out of the Lord Jesus. And we, we've always seen this. Why is that? It's because the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ is more than an academic or intellectual exercise. There is something born in our deepest emotions that uh, is unleashed when we understand the majesty of Of God. In fact, I would venture to say that a part of the measure of our spiritual walk with the Lord is how attracted we are to music. It doesn't mean you have to be a great singer. And if you're not a great singer, then you're not spiritually mature. But I do believe that there's something we're walking with Jesus that calls us to music or to art. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 1 today? Luke 1 you know that the first two chapters of the book of Luke are basically a musical. We see all this verse taking place here. You may remember, some of you with with really sharp uh, memories, that last Christmas Eve, we touched on the topic of Mary's song at that time. And when we looked at this, I just kind of put a bookmark in my mind and thought, I'd love to circle back and do a whole series on the music in the book of Luke. And so here we are, look forward to taking a deep dive here. While you're turning there, let me remind you that today is Shop With a Purpose right down on the other uh, side of of campus. I hope you'll stop by in between your activities and uh, say hello to our mission partners and participate. Maybe if you're buying uh, some Christmas gifts for other people, you can also bless our missions partners there. We've entered into December, our missions month here at King. Kingsland, uh, we already talked about that, uh, that focus that we have for 2023, every home, every nation as we pray together. If you are a member of Kingsland or a regular attender, you're going to receive one of those booklets in the mail. But if you're a guest here today and you want to take one home with you, there are several printed copies around here. My only favor is if you are already on our mailing list, please don't take one and you'll cut down on our printing costs. Uh, you'll have one in the mail when you get home this week, I promise. All right. Well, the Magnificat or Mary's song. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of of song or poetry anywhere in literature, anywhere. And here it is in the precious anointed word of God. Mary is rejoicing at the honor of giving birth to the Lord Jesus, whose name literally means Yahweh is salvation. We know uh, from further back in the passage in verse 28, uh, Gabriel appears to Mary. He calls her favored woman. We know how the story goes. It's extraordinary, right? She says, "How, how can this be when I have not been with a man? He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so we tend to read this as we should, according to the good parts and the rejoicing. What I want us to understand today before we dive into Mary's song, a little bit farther down in the passage, is to recognize That yes, it is a joyful occasion to recognize the incarnation, but there was some pretty tough stuff that Mary had to recognize even as she was hearing this. You see, in truth, when that announcement came, Mary's life grew far more difficult. You see, uh, in a sense, her reputation was ruined because there were some who weren't going to believe that this was a miraculous conception. Uh, A teenage girl out of wedlock was a serious scandal at the time. and You add to that, she's engaged to Joseph. They know she's not living with Joseph, so they presume it's another man. Uh, No doubt people thought she'd compromised her morals. Uh, What would Joseph do? Well, we know from Scripture that Joseph was making plans to break off the engagement, and it wasn't until an angel told Joseph later on in a dream that this was the Christ child. Uh, So it's very possible that as Mary's singing this song... Jesus, or rather Joseph, had turned his back on her. I mean, this is a really intense situation. In fact, Deuteronomy 22, 22 through 24 tells us that uh, the, the law of the Old Testament meant that adultery was punishable by death. And so she's facing some serious stuff. Incidentally, If you go to Nazareth today, it's a pretty large town. I've been there many times, but uh, archaeologists in the studies there have found that it was a very small town. So they can have a pretty good idea that it was between 250 and 400 people lived in the town of Nazareth. How many of you grew up in a small town? How fast does news travel in a small town? (laughs) How long do you think it took before people started gossiping about Mary behind her back and saying, oh yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit came on her. And so she's dealing with all this. If that isn't enough, she is also very poor. In fact, she's probably the poorest of the poor because when we find her in the temple uh, dedicating Christ the eighth uh, day after his birth, uh, they're required to, to sacrifice a lamb for the firstborn son, but there's a provision made in the law for the, for, uh, the poor that uh, they could offer to turtle doves, and that's exactly what took place there. So she's in some really difficult circumstances, and in those circumstances, what does Mary do? Mary worships. She's singing and celebrating and glorifying God. This song reminds us, I think, that we can worship even when we don't feel like it. Now listen, I recognize that some of you walked in today and you are going through some tough times. Maybe the only reason you came today is because you thought it'd be good for the children at this time of year or you know you came because your family asked you to come and so here you are. Uh, m- many of us have had Christmas seasons where you didn't want to put up any decorations. You were not feeling it. And some of you are going through that right now, right? Uh, and, and and you know even when you're walking through tough times anytime it's difficult. But during the Christmas season, can't that make it even tougher? Because it feels as though all the lights and the sound and the jolly kind of magnifies your own pain. And so you just, you want nothing of it. Well, listen, a couple of things you need to know. You don't need to fake your joy at Christmas time. You don't need to act like everything's great to be here. But second, you need to know that even in your pain, there's reason to rejoice or to worship or to trust the Lord at Christmas. And I believe Mary gives us a model of how to do that. Mary shows us how to worship when we don't feel like worshiping. And I'd love to share with you for a few minutes today... Uh, Some elements of worship that are always available to you, regardless of your pain or your circumstances, reasons to worship the Lord. And Mary shows us how. Let's look here. First of all, I want you to see that Mary's saying about the grace of God. Uh, Grace, the unmerited favor of God. If you look at Mary's faith journey, she first heard the good news early in the chapter. Gabriel's announced the Christ child. Uh, And then she says, how can this be? So she's trying to figure it out, and she says, may it be just as you said. Look at verse 38. Uh, See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me just as you have said. That's incredible humility, isn't it? That's her response. She realizes it's going to change her life. She obviously knows it's not always going to be for the better. And even after that affirmation, she's trying to figure all this out. I'm sure she goes to see her relative Elizabeth. And it's after Elizabeth makes her proclamation and blesses her that Mary's disposition starts to change. And we see this song take place. So look down at verse 46. We're going to read the first part of the song. And I want you to see something. Verses 46 through 48. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Difficulties are unchanged here. Do you see? But now she's celebrating. What is she celebrating? Mary is celebrating salvation. Notice she rejoices in God, her Savior. Now listen, I am aware that there are some traditions that say that Mary was perfect, or Mary was sinless, but the scripture never says that. And the the logic or the line of thinking behind the idea of the perfection of Mary is that in order for Mary to give birth to a perfect Lamb of God, she would have to be sinless herself. But that logic really breaks down for several reasons. First of all, the scripture never gives any indication or even a hint of the idea that Mary is sinless. Now, second, we know according to Scripture that all of us are born sinful. Uh, Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Right. And third, uh, if, if we follow the line of thinking that Mary had to be perfect— then what about Mary's parents or her parents or her parents? You see, we just keep kicking the can down the road if that's a requirement. And no, that's not the case. Jesus Christ is sinful. He is uh, sinless. He is sinless. He is God himself. Well, that would, I hope that doesn't show up on like a soundbite or a clip. <laughs> Jesus Christ is perfectly sinless, isn't he? Without sin. He is God the Son. And he is born of Mary, do you see? But Mary, just like all of us, needed Savior. Now this is an important time to just push pause because there's probably some who are watching today online or you're here today and you know in your heart of hearts you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. Do you know that there's not a better time that I can think of than right now to, to recognize that you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior? Christ has come into the world, given his life as a sacrifice on the cross, and then raised to life, defeated death, Uh, on the third day, so that you might be saved. And that's available to all who place their faith in Jesus. That's available to you today. But it's also important to look back on and recognize that all of us are sinful people desperately in need of a Savior. When you're walking through those difficult times, there's always reason to rejoice. Why? Because God has saved us. If you were to ask me my favorite song, it's not a hard answer for me. I can answer right away. It's always the same answer. It is well with my soul. I love that old song. It's written by Horatio Spafford, and one of the reasons I love the song is because of the context in which it was written. Horatio Spafford had just lost his entire family in a shipwreck. And he wrote that song out of his heartache, recognizing basically that even in the midst of that, it could be well with his soul. God could bring peace to his life. And one of the reasons he could worship even in the midst of that heartache and tragedy is found in one of the verses. He says this, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well it is well with my soul. You see, grace is always a reason to worship the Lord. You know, as I thought about this sermon, prayed about it, I thought that maybe the best way to, to, to act on or respond to this idea of praising, even when we don't feel like it, is to actually do it in the context of the message. So I want to invite you to join me in putting this into practice. And let's rejoice in God, our Savior. Would you sing with me? hail the heaven-born
1: prince of peace hail the son of righteousness light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings mild he lays his glory by born that Man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth hark the herald angels sing
0: glory to the new Church, you sound good. You know, even in your most difficult moments in those seasons of darkness, you can sing about the grace of God. Mary sang about the grace of God. I also want you to see that Mary sang about the greatness of God. That's always a reason to praise him. You go back to the beginning of the song and let's read uh, the next verse as well. Verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. Do you notice that quickly Mary moves from inward statements, my soul, my spirit, to upward statements, singing about God's character. The nature is an important focus of our worship, especially when we don't feel like worshiping. God is still mighty. This entire Christmas narrative is about the power of God. Do you see? In fact, one of the great uh, ironies about Christmas today is if you ask the average person, what's Christmas about? They're probably going to say, well, it's about the, the, when we see the goodness of mankind that mankind can still come together and find peace. Oh, that's not the reason or the meaning for Christmas. It's just the opposite of that. God had to come to earth because we couldn't be good enough, because we couldn't solve our own problem. Man, you know, if you you think Christmas is just all about us being good and finding the goodness in ourselves, you're fooling yourself. You might have some fuzzy feelings for a little while, but they're going to go away. Why do you think a week after Christmas we have to make New Year's resolutions? Because we're messed up, man. We desperately need somebody's goodness outside of our own. We need the power of God, and that's what he offers. I think about uh, a, a pitiful but uh, famous Christmas movie, uh, Christmas Vacation. Think about poor Clark Griswold. He worked so hard trying to make Christmas perfect. He tried to have the lights, tree presents, his Christmas bonus so he could get a pool. Everything started to fall apart, and he lost his mind, cut down his neighbor's tree, and everything went wrong because that's what happens when we rely on ourselves. But when we look to the power of God and his might, now we start to see some things happen. Look at verse 49. Look what Mary sings, because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy, speaks of his holiness. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. His might, his holiness, his mercy, that's who God is. We sing of God's nature. Remember, this is all surrounding the incarnation. Mary's been made aware that Messiah is coming. So she's singing about Christmas. She's singing about the might of God, the power of God, the greatness of God. That is always a reason to worship. When you're considering reasons to praise him, and your circumstances aren't your circumstances aren't on that list. Listen, there's always a reason to praise Him. When we think about the might and the greatness of God. So let's try this together. He rules the world with truth
1: and grace. Sing it with conviction and makes the nations prove the glories of. His righteousness and wonders of His love, and wonders of His love, and wonders,
0: wonders of His love. We can always sing of God's grace, we can always sing of God's greatness. I want to show you another thing that Mary showed us in her example. Mary sang about the faithfulness of god i think this is especially meaningful in the context of who's singing when you think about what mary was going to face in her life what she recognized was probably ahead and and so she's not praising saying god i praise you because you've made my life easier she knows that but despite all her concerns mary chooses to worship why Mary didn't know how things were going to go, but Mary knew what God had already done, and Mary knew that God would keep his promises. You look down at verse 50 again, and watch this. His mercy is from generation to generation. Do you see that? On those who fear him, from generation to generation. In other words, the promises God has made down through the generations and the work he is doing in Mary are not coming out of nowhere god is working and god has been carrying out his plan from the very beginning and mary realized that this announcement she's received is part of god's faithfulness now a couple of details that are easy to miss here that are really interesting mary is singing in the past tense did you notice that the the uh, the the specific academic word is the aorist tense she's talking about something that uh as if it has happened uh so um why is that important Well, because not everything had happened yet. So, uh, verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me. Verse 51, on to the end, look with me. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Now, why did she do that when some of those things were happening right then and some were going to happen in the future? Mary is speaking of the faithfulness of God, and she's saying those things that are to come, because I know what he's done from generation to generation, those things are as good as accomplished right now. Remember the writer of Hebrews saying, we are seated in the heavenlies right now? How how can that be? Because we count on God's promises, and it's as sure as if we're already there. Do you see? And that's the truth that Mary has discovered. In fact, notice right at the end there, she speaks of Abraham. In fact, her song is full of Old Testament references. How many of you uh, at 15 years old could, could cite five verbatim uh, songs from the Old Testament or words from the Old Testament in this. It's pretty impressive. She knows her scripture. She knows what's happening. And so she's looking back at what God has already accomplished, what he's already promised, and she has full confidence in his faithfulness. She sees the big picture. So Mary is honored to be a part of this. There is no doubt. Why? Because she knows despite her present circumstances, there's a bigger picture and God is doing a great work. He's not finished yet. Isn't that a glorious thing? There's a movie that came out about 10 years ago that I'll admit I didn't see, but somebody described to me, and one day I will, it's called The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. It's never come out free. When it's free, I'll watch a movie. Other than that, I usually won't. But the whole idea is they refurbished this hotel in India, and this great quote came out of the movie, and that's what my friend shared with me. Here's the quote. If it's not, uh, everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, then it's not yet the end. Isn't that good? Everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not yet the end. Man, if that's not biblical, I don't know what is. You look around, you say, is everything all right? No. Is everything okay at our house right now? No. Is everything going on with our circumstances right now? No. Well, if everything's not all right, this must not be the end because we know that Christ wins. Do you see? He, she counted on the faithfulness of God and we can too. Mary discovered that truth for us today. God is always faithful. He proved that in coming to us. He demonstrated that in going to the cross for us. He proved it by coming up out of the grave on the third day. Do you see? God is faithful. And when you don't know how to worship this Christmas, when you're trying to navigate the difficulties you're facing, when you're trying to figure out how in the world you could sing, sing of the faithfulness of God because it's always, always consistent. Let's do that right now in another old song. Come thou long expected
1: Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find I rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every law sing this with me born thy people to deliver born a child and yet a king born to reign in us forever now thy gracious kingdom By Thine own eternal Spirit In all our hearts alone By Thine all-sufficient merit Raise us to Thy glory
0: Mary showed us how we can worship, even when we don't feel like worshiping. Mary sang of the grace of God. Mary sang of the greatness of God. Mary sang of the faithfulness of God. He has been good. He is great. He's been faithful, do you see? Listen, that's not making light, minimizing what you're walking through right now. But the reality is God is greater than our circumstances. And he's worthy of our praise. Would you bow with me, church? I wonder whether somebody came today having never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. What a blessing if this day, this Christmas season, would be the time of salvation for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ, confess that you're a sinner and need a Savior. I hope that you'll do that today. I recognize there's a lot of people in the room having walked through some really difficult times in your life. Maybe you're walking through it right now. Do you know that the Lord has called us to worship him and praise him and the Lord will do something in your heart when you sing by faith, when you trust him? So Heavenly Father, I pray that you do a work in our hearts today. You bring us to decision. You call us to worship. In Jesus' name.